Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're grateful that you're with us today. Uh, today, Pastor John and a bunch of adult leaders and a bunch of hype students are finishing up a, uh, a fall retreat over at Camp Good News in Washington. And so I would encourage you uh, today to be in prayer for those leaders and for those students that the, the work the Lord has done over the past day, that that would continue at home, it would continue at school, it would continue on as a way of life and not be left in Washington. So be praying for them as they um, get back into regular life. Today is a, a kind of a bittersweet day around Crosspoint because today the Duffy family, uh, this is their last Sunday here at Crosspoint. Uh, tomorrow they're driving west, uh, I believe it's tomorrow, driving west to uh, Portland, Oregon to, uh, to move and to be on mission out there in the Pac Northwest and if you guys want to come up now, that'd be great. Um, over the past five years as a church, we've had, uh, it'll be uh, 22 households move geographically away from uh, this area. And so when that happens, it reminds us of a few different things. It reminds us that, um, that the local church is family. And so, and, and these are dear family members of ours, and, and we love them, and we, um, and so you, you experience the, the uh, picture of the local church being family. And then you also are reminded that the church is a body. And so we are grateful for how they have served and given of their uh, abilities, talents, gifts, their time through the years, how they've invested into this local church and been uh, a part of the body here and how they'll be a part of the body in Portland, Oregon. And then we're also reminded that the uh, church is a, in the end, is kind of a sending agency, not just for full-time mission work and not just for local mission work as you all scatter this week, and are sent from this place, but in this regard, sending them out to be on mission in a new um, area. And so it has been a great joy to, uh, to watch the Lord at work in your household um, through the years. It's been a, uh, your family is an evidence of his grace um, in so many different ways, and we're grateful for that. And um, do you guys want to share anything? I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I pretty much am putting you on the spot. Uh, if you want to share anything, you can. Okay. Um, yeah, so we've been here for, what, eight years? Thank you. <laughs> um, and, I mean, this church really is our family, so we really appreciate all of you. Um, if, uh, if you're community group members, if you're family members, uh, if you love these guys, if you've been around them in community and among the body, if you could come up now and Pastor Eric's going to be praying for them and sending them out. pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the people that you put in our paths. We're so grateful for how you have um, created the church as a body. How you called us to worship you together. How you've placed us together in local bodies uh, so that we have a, a greater picture of who Jesus is as our head, and we can grow into the maturity of Christ together. So thankful for the Duffies, 
and for how they have helped this local body mature in Christ. And we're so thankful that you are sending them to another local body where they can help them mature in Christ and they can continue to mature in Christ as well. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them as they uh, go on this trip, on this journey. I pray for safe travels. I pray for uh, uh, a happy van. And, uh, and Lord, just um, that this could be uh, not just a, a time to, from getting here to there, but part of the adventure to see that you're with them all the way. I'm so thankful that you're a God who sent his son. And Jesus, you have sent your people. You've filled us with your spirit, and now we go. So I pray that you would help us to live as sent people, whether we move away from here or not. Lord, we are people who have been sent on a mission to reach the lost, to encourage and equip the body for your glory and for our good. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for these eight years that you've used the Duffies in that way at this church, and we thank you for however many years it will be that you use them where they are going next. And God, we look forward to the day where uh, we will just all be together with you. We love you and we praise you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our First Impressions team is going to be uh, handing out the connection card booklets now. So if you could, uh, uh, if you're new with us, fill out the gray section. Uh, we've got a booklet for every row, so you don't need to pass them across the aisle. Uh, if there's something we can be praying for you about, uh, or rejoicing with the Lord about, then please write that down so we could um, pray with you and uh, rejoice with you in something happening in, in your life. If you have updated email, those kind of things, uh, let us know that as well. Also, we'd encourage you... Uh, not related to the connection cards, but uh, if you haven't downloaded the Crosspoint app to do so, there's a QR code in your program and also a link on our website. But that's a, a way for us to uh, hopefully increase our engagement with the Word and with one another throughout the week. And so uh, I encourage you to do so um, this week. One of those uh, three Ds that we are called to as a church is being driven to reach people. And one way we pursue that vision of being driven to reach people is uh, through the mission project of Operation Christmas Child. So watch this video. It's happening now. Not just across the world, but here in your backyard. You have a voice. You have a call. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's not hard. It's easy. You have a family. You have a community. And they want to know, how do we do this? When do we do this? Why do we do this? Tell them. Your message doesn't stop in your cities and homes. It travels. 
through the hands of the people who hear it, through shoeboxes that are packed with simple gifts and delivered to local churches around the world so that children can hear about Jesus. You joining us is the body of Christ coming together in unity to share the gospel, not just with a few, with millions. This is what a shoebox does. Believers understand that this is a powerful tool that the church uses for evangelism and discipleship. It multiplies beyond the children who receive these gifts. You have a voice from families to communities to churches. We are the body of Christ, sending the gospel to the far ends of the earth. Are you in? So one thing we love about um, Operation Christmas Child is that it does, um, it connects local bodies from uh, this area, for instance, to areas across this world. And so the, the work happens through the local church on the ground wherever those boxes land. And so that's one thing we love about it. Uh, if you're bringing in items, we'd encourage you to do so on Sunday mornings. Kids will be packing up those shoe boxes on the 12th of November. And then the 19th, if you brought your own or, uh, and or those boxes come out here, then on the 19th, we'll pray for those children who will receive those boxes and send them out. So uh, thank you for your generosity of how you're bringing in items and, and we'll do so in the coming uh, weeks. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, turn to the book of John. We'll be in chapter 20. If you need a good Bible, uh, please get one uh, back at Guest Connections and uh, take that home with you. We're in a series right now where we are looking at some of the events that, that took place following the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has just risen from the dead, and so the actions, uh, so, so what do we learn about his actions? What, what do we learn about what he says in those moments? What does he say to the group that has followed him for three plus years? What does he, uh, how does he respond following his resurrection? These are the events that we're looking at, and the reality is, is that these events and his words and his actions have implications for our lives here in this year. They reveal the, the nature and character of who our God is. They reveal who Jesus is, that he has come with authority. And so uh, his actions and his words, I pray, would come with authority in our hearts and our lives today. In the summer of 2016, our elder team worked on a document that we call the Crosspoint Culture Culture is defined as a way of thinking, uh, behaving, living in an organization or in a place. And so how would we describe the culture around Crosspoint Community Church? The, the document's about 500 words long, and so it's on our website if you haven't read it. But here's a few sentences related to the vision of being driven to reach people. Jesus commissioned us to go and make disciples. Therefore, we live this mission out on Sundays, at home, at work, at school, at school, cross-culturally and to the ends of the earth, including the packed Northwest. Showing and telling of the good news of Jesus, because Jesus left the 99 to reach the one, we reflect that same passion, continually looking outward, pursuing the lost. The longer a church exists, the more likely it is to turn inward. The more likely it is to stop caring about the lost. The more likely it is to kind of just go through the motions of church life, that the goal is simply uh, pay the light bill and open the doors the more it is likely to stop realizing that there are lost people that need to be found and that Christ followers, not others, but Christ followers are called to go 
and to testify and to show and tell and to be a witness, an ambassador for Christ. When my wife and I felt called by God to start this church, it was late 2000, early 2001. The driving force and motivator behind that calling was that we felt a, a burden to reach people that weren't being reached. Lost people were dying and living eternally separated from their creator. People were living their lives trying to find their satisfaction, their salvation in lesser things, in destructive things, in addictive things. And the Lord's desire, according to Scripture, is that they would find freedom in Christ, is that they would be set free, that they would come to know that rest is found in Christ alone. So not only eternal matters, but earthly ones. We long to see the good news of Jesus change households and change lives and change family trees and generations to come. To see the lost found, the addicted set free, the self-righteous humbled, the broken healed, the hurting comforted. The vision and dream for this church has not changed. It remains the same. Why? Is it because Heather and I are still here? Nope. Is it because some members of the uh, launch team in that early church, those first couple years, are still here serving, leading? Is it because that they are still here? Nope. The reason the vision and dream of Crosspoint has not changed is because the words of Jesus have not changed. Because the gospel hasn't changed. Because God's plans and purposes for his church have not changed. At the cornerstone of Crosspoint is not me. It's not an elder team. It's not another pastor on staff. It's not my wife. It's not our family. At the cornerstone of Crosspoint is, is Christ. He is who we are built on. Who, he is who we are being built up in. It's His truth and word that is our foundation, and His word commands us and calls us as a church to be on mission to be about the purpose of making disciples of Jesus. Listen, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, the dream for Crosspoint, the, the things I pray for, that we pray for as an elder team, that the Lord would do in and through this local church, ultimately it's not ours. It's not our dreams. It's not our uh, ten-year strategic plan. They come from Scripture. And as we look at the New Testament, we see that the Lord wants us to be a church that pursues the lost, equips believers for the work of ministry, preaches the gospel, sends out missionaries both locally and globally, plants churches, raises up and trains leaders, gathers in life-changing biblical community, gives generously of our earthly treasure for his eternal kingdom, prays boldly, expectantly, worships supremely, serves wholeheartedly and humbly, and on and on and on. We sum that up in living 3D. This idea of being uh, devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, and driven to reach people. Or in the words of Jesus, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself, and that we would go and make disciples. That mission has not changed as a church. It won't change as a church because the words of Jesus don't change. This is why we exist, why we do what we do, because Jesus, our chief shepherd, our authority, our cornerstone, our Lord and Savior told us this is what to be this is what the local church is to be about this is what our lives are to be about and today in this passage in john 20 we're going to read the words of jesus spoken to disciples at the time but they're also 
uh, easily applicable to our lives in this local faith family. He's going to call and command them, these disciples, to be on mission. He's going to give them a purpose that is bigger than themselves, bigger than simply getting up, going to school or work, or staying home, whatever you do during the day, coming home uh, at night, going about some things, going to bed, and then waking up the next day. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than going through the motions. He's going to tell them that they're being sent, that they're to go out. But he will not just tell them, I'm sending you, and then forsake them or leave them, or say, good luck with that. No, instead, in these five verses that we'll look at today is that Jesus is going to not only call them to a mission and call them to a purpose, but he's going to give them his presence, his peace, and his power. This exchange between Jesus and his disciples occurs on the same day as the resurrection. In the gospel accounts, we see that Jesus made five appearances on that resurrection day, on that Sunday, after he walked out of the tomb. Jesus has got people to see and places to go because life is short and the mission is big. So I want to read all five verses and then we'll work our way through them. John 20, verses 19 through 23. When it was the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So verse 19 again. When it was the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. The previous Sunday, Jesus had triumphantly uh, rolled into Jerusalem on a donkey. Shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. But then as the week goes on, the situation changes. The uh, betrayal happens, the arrest, the trial of Jesus. And the crowds call for him to be crucified. He is mocked, beaten, crucified on a Friday. Peter denies knowing him. The one who has led the disciples for three plus years is now dead, buried in a tomb, and the disciples scatter in fear. On Sunday morning, the two Marys are going to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body for burial. They don't know how this, how this is going to go with the stone in front of the tomb, but they go there because they want to prepare his body in a proper sort of way. But an earthquake happens, the stone is rolled away, and the two angels greet the two women, telling them not to be afraid. Because Jesus is not here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said. And so they depart with great joy and great awe, and they depart, and Jesus greets them on their, on their way to go and tell the disciples about the resurrected Jesus. The two Marys then report all this to the disciples, but as Luke 24, verse 11 tells us, the disciples didn't believe them, and the words of the women appeared to them as nonsense, is what Scripture says. So then Peter and John run to the tomb, John tells us in, in the gospel that he runs faster than Peter. There's funny things in Scripture if you notice them, and this is one of them. He points out that he beat Peter in this race. He looks into the tomb, sees the linens there, but there's no Jesus. And then Peter finally catches up. If you read it, that's what happens. Peter finally catches up. He must have been a little slow afoot and sees the same exact thing. All we see is linens that he was wrapped in, but no body but john 20 verse 9 tells us that the disciples did not understand the scriptures yet that the messiah must rise again from the dead 
And then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. She goes back, tells the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then the walk to Emmaus happens that we looked at last Sunday. And the next storyline in that day is John 20. And so in light of the past week of Palm Sunday, arrest, trial, uh, crucifixion, these reports of Jesus being alive and his body not in the tomb, where do we find the disciples? They gathered together in a room with the doors locked. Why are the doors locked? Because of fear. Because they're hiding in fear from the Jews, the religious leaders who had just gotten the Romans to kill Jesus. They're thinking if they, if they kill Jesus, then they're going to come after us next because for three plus years, we've been identifying with Jesus. We've been following him, publicly identifying that we are Jesus' followers, we are his people, so, so they're worried about getting hurt, let alone being killed. Jesus is about ready to call these disciples to be missionaries and disciple makers. He's, he's going to give them a mission and a purpose that is bigger than themselves. But this group is not like, okay, uh, reports of Jesus, all right, let, let's, we're fired up, we're excited. No, instead they're hiding in fear. Doors locked. Probably talking in whispers. Not much light in the room. They're hunkered down and hiding. That's where we find them. Hunkered down and hiding. And we're told Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you. The first thing he gives them is his presence. It's not a ghost, not a hallucination. It's his resurrected physical body, and yet he's simply there with him in spite of the closed and locked doors, which as John Piper writes, means that today in your life, Jesus can go where no one else can go. He can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no lover can go. He can reach you and reach into you anywhere and anytime. There's no place where you are and no depth of personhood that you are which Jesus can't penetrate. Jesus' resurrection from the dead fits him to do what no one else can do. There's no one else like him in all the universe. He is alive and he is the one and only God-man that he is capable of. What he is capable of, you cannot imagine. And it's a healing wonder to contemplate that all the complex layers of your life, which neither you nor anyone else can understand, are familiar territory to him. He stands among his disciples. He gives them his presence. So we do not serve and follow, uh, worship a far-off, distant Savior. He's near. He's among us. The disciples of Jesus are fearful and hiding. This is not the attitude that you would hope to find in a group that's about ready to be commissioned to be sent into the world. And Jesus first gives them his presence. See, we like the disciples are prone to fearful living. We're prone to hunker down and hide or just kind of hope that, that we don't experience discomfort, suffering, harm, let alone dying for our faith. We are prone to lock the doors of our lives in fear. But God's people were never designed to live in fear. We're, we are people of faith. We are called to walk and live by faith and not by fear. We're not called to hide or barricade ourselves off from the, from the world. We are called to go into the world, to shine, to reflect, to show and tell. See, John 20, verse 19, is the exact description of what some churches become over the course of time. The exact description. Let's just hide out until Jesus returns. 
Let's lock ourselves off from the world because then we'll be safe. Then we'll be comfortable. Then we won't have to walk by faith, and it'll be so much easier. We can just walk by sight then. As your pastor, it is my prayer that verse 19 would never describe this church. I never want to pastor or shepherd a church that can be described by verse 19. When it comes to a local and worldwide mission to reach people with the truth and hope and love of Jesus Christ, we will experience fear. If we think we won't, we're fools. In a culture that is increasingly antagonistic and indifferent to Christ's followers, so we can approach this mission by hiding in fear. If, if I share my faith in Christ with them, will they laugh at me? If I tell them that apart from faith in Christ, apart from obedience to the Scriptures, obedience to the Lord, you'll spend eternity separated from the Lord. Will they reject me? If I tell them that Jesus is the only way and He is the way and the truth and the life and those are His words and not ours and will I, that there's not multiple paths up the mountain to God, if I tell them that, will they cut off my friendship, my relationship with them? See, fear is what often grips, when it, grips us when it comes to mission. But listen, the fears that we face in America at this stage of history are nothing like brothers and sisters have experienced throughout the global history of Christianity, let alone what the disciples are experiencing or going to experience here. Like laughter, uh, rejection, uh, awkwardness, those things uh, pale in comparison to physical persecution and death. And so into, the, into our fearful, hunkered down, hiding state, Jesus gives us his presence. See, we learn something about Jesus here. He comes to his own when they are afraid. He does not say, could you take care of that fear? And once that's all cleaned up, then could you come out of this door and see me? No, he goes into them in their fearful state. Because he knows that it's only through his presence that the fear is going to be driven out. It's only through his presence. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. We see that Jesus stood in the midst of them. He's not on the edge. He's not holding up the wall like some middle school dude at a dance. All right? He's in the center. That's where I was. He's in their midst. He's among his disciples. You can imagine him being in the center of them. He wanted them to see him, to know him, to be in relationship with him, to love him, to worship him. When Jesus is at the center of our lives, he is in his rightful place. He is the risen Savior, the King of kings. The center is where he belongs, first and foremost, in every aspect of your life, every relationship, your workplace, your private life, your marriage, if you're married, your school, first and foremost is where he belongs. Verse 20, then, having said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. This is now the second time he has said peace to you. So not only in this mission does he give him his presence, but he gives him his peace. The opposite of peace is conflict. Peace is the absence of conflict. If you're a disciple here in this moment, you're probably assuming that there's going to be some conflict with Jesus. 
that he is not pleased with you, that a rebuke is coming, that possibly even that he will leave you. He has all the authority in heaven and on earth. And this is the group of disciples who scattered on Friday. They've been hiding out since. And the first words Jesus speaks to them is peace to you. There's nothing to fear. Because what we know from Ephesians 2 is that Jesus is our peace, that through the cross that he reconciled God and man. He has put hostility to death. He's he's removed the wall of hostility is what Scripture says. Colossians 1.20 tells, tells us that through Jesus we are reconciled to God and that he has brought peace through his blood shed on the cross. What we know of the gospel is that Jesus initiated peace with us. He has the authority to say peace to you because he has the authority to lay down his life and then take it back up on the third day. Peace with Christ is secured through his death. This is one reason why, why we see him show them his hands, and his side. Because he's reminding them, peace has been secured through my shed blood. His blood brought peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through faith in Christ and by the grace of God, believers have peace between us and him. The wrath of God is satisfied we are declared righteous meaning we are we have a right standing with god we were in a wrong standing with god and now we have a right standing with god not because of our effort but through faith and because of his effort on the cross now we are clothed in his righteousness and he took on our unrighteousness on the cross that's why we can have a right standing with him and now john 1 12 tells us that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So it's not just wrath removed, but peace given, an adoption to a heavenly father secured. Sins are forgiven now, and now there's peace. Slavery to sin is broken, and now there's peace. Fear is driven out, and now there's peace. Eternal destiny has been settled, and now there's peace. See, what we can safely assume here is that not only that they're, um, the disciples are assuming conflict in this moment, but there's also a sense of guilt, especially in Peter, the fact that he denied Jesus on Friday, and this is just Sunday. And even among the other disciples that we left him alone on the cross, and we, we just scattered, and he was isolated, and he was alone, and so you can imagine a sense of guilt there. And to that guilt, Jesus says, peace to you. My blood has covered that guilt. My blood has covered that shame and that condemnation. In the worldwide mission that Jesus calls us to, he gives us his peace. His peace reminds us of our identity in Christ. That we've been reconciled to him and we are at peace with him. So listen, we don't obey Jesus' mission to go and make disciples. We don't obey that in order to earn his love or to find acceptance with him. It's not a work that we do to somehow earn our salvation. Rather, it's a work that we do that flows out of our faith in Him, that flows out of our identity in Him. So because we are at peace with Him, by grace, we can obey Him. Not to try to earn peace, but because we are at peace and because we are at peace, we want others to experience that same reality. 
We want them to know the Lord and know that peace can be found through Him. We want to go and tell others that guilt can be removed only through the shed blood of of the cross, that condemnation can be removed because of Jesus Christ. I pray that today you would know the peace of God that is found only in Jesus Christ. He gives them his presence, his peace, and then he tells them this mission, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. John 17 records a prayer of Jesus in verse 18. He prays this, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And he's praying to his Father in heaven. And this has been the plan and prayer all along. The Father sending the Son to the earth, and then the Son sending his people to the ends of the earth. We'll see Jesus give the same command in Matthew 28, in Acts 1.8. See, Jesus is not looking for spiritual consumers. He, he, we are not to make consumers of Jesus. Those who simply consume but never join the Lord in his mission. Jesus is not, reach, is not desiring to reach more people who will simply have a nominal faith. Or a, a church full of people who like, oh, my faith is kind of lukewarm or my, my faith is kind of meh. He's not looking to, to raise up a people in that way. And so the prayers that Jesus has for his church are so much bigger than that. According to John 17, this is what we find in some, of, in, in some of these things in his prayer in John 17. We see that among other things that he prays the church would be on mission, that they'd be sent as, as he has been sent. We also find that they would be one, that they'd be unified as the Father and Son are one. They, we also find in John 17, 17 that the, we would be changed by, sanctified by the word of truth. We also find that we'd be sent into the world but not become like the world. So this is the other ditch that we can fall into. I'm going to go reach the world, but then your life becomes more and more like the world and your life is no longer set apart or holy or being changed by the truth of God's word. See, Crosspoint, we've been sent by Jesus to go into the world, to be a church full of people who will say yes to that and who did it for and who will do it for his glory alone and not ours. And then verse 22, after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, he gives them his presence, his peace, and now he gives them his power, the opposite of power is weakness. And that's how, apart from the Spirit, how we feel as we, as we are told, as the Father has sent me, so, I'll, so I also send you. Wait, what? Wait, I'm your plan A? We are your plan A? Hmm? Really? I'm not sure how this is going to go down. I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure uh, if my words will be any good. I'm not sure if you can really use me. I, I don't feel very qualified or I feel very unable. I feel very weak. Yeah, me too. And I'm not going to make this message about me. But every Sunday, I feel unqualified. Throughout the week, I fight this low level of feeling unqualified for this role. It has nothing to do with some secret thing or anything. It's just this low level um, simmering in my life. 
And what it does is it reminds me that it's not about me. It's not about uh, my abilities, my skills, my lack thereof. It's about him. It's about his power. It's about his power at work in me. It's about his glory and not mine. And Jesus says, I will give you my power through the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit has been promised from uh, uh, John 14 and 16. We see it there. And the Holy Spirit will be poured out in the book of Acts seven weeks from this resurrection Sunday. He didn't say, receive the Spirit at this very moment. He's giving them a picture of what's to come. He said, in effect, realize that my breath, my truth, my life, my word will be in the Holy Spirit, which I've told you is going to come. And while Jesus is with them physically in this moment, he's reminding them that he will still be with them through the power of the Holy Spirit, even after he ascends to heaven. And the Spirit will give you power, he says, that this impossible mission will be made possible through the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives is that he makes us able to do what we would simply not be able to do on our own. He gives us his power. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 11, he writes, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. The point is, is that, is that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in you as a believer in Christ, giving you the power and the desire to do what pleases him, is what Philippians 2.13 would tell us. So when we feel unable to pursue and obey the mission Jesus has given us to be sent, he says, here's my spirit. Here's my power. So then when you're on mission and you're seeing God not only work in other people's lives but work in your own heart, you won't puff up with pride because you'll realize it's the spirit's power at work. And when you're on mission and it's just kind of desert and wilderness, you're not seeing a lot of fruit, you're not seeing a lot of things above the ground growing, you won't despair or be downtrodden because it's the Spirit at work. And we are called to obey. We are called to join. We are called to joyfully show and tell. But ultimately, it's the Spirit's power at work in us and through us. And then as a result, the Father gets the glory. And you see the power of, this, of the Holy Spirit on display when you compare this moment in John 20 of the disciples hiding behind locked doors to Acts 2. You should read the two passages side by side today or this week. Acts 2, the Spirit has been given, has been poured out. Jesus has ascended, and you see this boldness, this love, this courage among the early church and among Peter and John. In Acts 2, you don't see fear. And it isn't because John and Peter were in this locked room kind of mustering themselves up, looking in the mirror, saying, you're stronger than you really are. and know the power's within you. And I'm, I'm listening to Tony Robbins tapes, Peter. How about you? And I, No, it's not any of that. It's because the Spirit has done the work. And because Peter and John and the others are dependent upon the Spirit. They're asking God to change them and not just change others. Do you feel unqualified, unable in this mission? When you have those moments and when you're walking through one of those seasons, it's in those seasons and in those moments that the Spirit is reminding you to be dependent upon Him. 
and reminding you that it's the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead who dwells in you as a believer. And then verse 23, he's going to remind them again of the gospel message that they will go out with. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Well, the NIV says it a little bit simpler. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So what Jesus is not doing here is saying to the disciples, you have greater authority than I do when it comes to the forgiveness of sins. The context, again, is that as the Father has sent the Son, so the Son is sending his people. And so as his disciples, he sends them in power and in truth. They will be his ambassadors and witnesses. So you think about an ambassador with a, with a government. Well, the ambassador, uh, the U.S. ambassador to so-and-so country has no power in and of themselves. They only speak on behalf of a greater authority and greater power, the U.S. government in that case. The same way when it comes to being an ambassador for Christ. It's not our authority that we go and show and tell. It's his authority. We are simply his mouthpiece, his voice, his reflection. One commentary said this, this lays down the duty of the church to proclaim forgiveness to the repentant believer and the duty of the church to warn the unbeliever that they are in danger of forfeiting the mercy of God. We don't create the forgiveness or deny it. We announce it according to God's word and the wisdom of the spirit. That's what we see Peter do in Acts 2. He says this as he's preaching, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says in Acts 10 as he's preaching, Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter's carrying the message that Jesus is the one who forgives. Jesus is the one who can heal. Jesus said this in John 3.36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. He said in John 8, 24, Therefore I told you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. As the disciples proclaimed the gospel, they could honestly tell people who believed in the message that their sins were forgiven. And they could honestly tell people who did not believe in the good news that their sins were not forgiven and they stood condemned in God's eyes. And I can tell you the same thing, not because of my authority, but because I speak on his authority, who said in John 3.36 and, and elsewhere in the Gospels, that if you've repented and believed the good news, if your faith is in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. If you are rejecting Christ and yet to humble yourself before the Lord and you're somehow still trusting in yourself to deal with your sin disease and your sins are not forgiven. And according to the words of Jesus in John 3.36, the wrath of God remains on you. I pray that today you would move from rejecting to receiving and you would experience the beautiful promise of John 1.12 that to those who believed and received, he gave the right to become children of God. The disciples were commanded to carry this message of hope for the forgiveness of sins to the world. See, Jesus gives them a purpose, a mission. The, the opposite of purpose would be kind of aimless, wandering, um, you know, just not really going anywhere. This is where we find the disciples in this locked room, a lack of purpose. Hunkered down, hiding, doors locked. Where are we going to go? 
What are we going to do next? Are we just going to go back to our jobs? Are we going to die? Are we gonna, who are we going to follow now? Who's going to take the lead? And he comes to them and he pursues them and he is among them. He initiates and he gives them his presence, his peace, and the promise of the power that is to come. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And I'm sending you. And as I'm sending you, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. If the worship team could come back up. See, Jesus is the greatest missionary of all time. It's not Paul. It's Jesus. He's the greatest missionary of all time. John 1 reminds us that he came full of grace and truth to dwell among us, to tabernacle among us. John 3 tells us that he came so that people could experience everlasting and eternal life and not perish. John 17 tells us that he came for the Father's glory and not his own. As a church cross point, we go, we are sent in the same pattern. We seek to reflect the fullness of his grace and his truth. And we seek to do that among people. Not barricaded off, but among the world. And we are sent to carry the message of John 3.16 with us so that people might not perish but have everlasting life. And we are sent not to become like the world, but in the same way of Jesus that the Father seeking and saving that which has been lost. And so we go in that same posture, not for our glory, but for His. Uh, Father God, we pray that You'd be at work in us and through us. We thank You for the reminder today from Your Word that we've been called to something bigger than, our, um, than just kind of going through the motions of life. I pray that You would give us opportunities this week, even today, Lord, to show and tell of the life-changing gospel that has changed our lives. And we pray that that gospel would continue to go out and spread and change lives and change family trees and generations and households. We pray that you would receive so much glory from this local faith family that, that this local church would be so dependent upon you to do the work and that we would go in a posture that says, we'll follow you, Lord. We will humbly come before you and trust in you. We will walk by faith and not by sight. Father, thank you for the work that you've done in this local church for 14 plus years. We pray that that work would continue. We pray that John 20 verse 19 would never describe us. So send us, Lord. Remind us of your presence. Remind us that we are at peace with you. And remind us that you've given us the Holy Spirit to be our power and so give us the desire and the power to do what pleases you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.